Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktana, and today we'll be discussing how trauma can cause us to store pieces of ourselves and how we can reintegrate them to return to our healthy whole self. When we come into an embodied life, we don't bring everything we are. We bring what we need. Like a rubber band, we stretch ourselves into encased existence. Some of us here, the rest of us remaining in the Akashics. The less of us is embodied, the more the body can cause us to forget who we truly are. This isn't a failing, but a feature. As we expend huge amounts of efforts preparing for embodied life, then living it in order to achieve our goals in whole or in part, mostly in part, remembrance of another way of being could cause an unwanted disruption. The more of us we bring here, the more we not only remember the interconnection of all things and how prana chi akashic energy works, but our psychic senses are turned on within the body. We begin to hear others' thoughts, understand instinctively others' motivations, feel called to help people with their issues on any or all levels, are affected by others' issues on various levels, and are unable to distinguish between the working persona of the person versus their true soul nature, just to name a few of the most basic consequences. While these senses are helpful and even necessary for souls who come to be in service, they're a hindrance to people who embody in order to learn lessons. Lives of focused learning can require a level of focus which precludes spiritual enlightenment and possibly interactions which cause pain to the soul and others. Someone coming to learn about the very rudimentary lessons of power over others and its consequences, such as a minor in the Appalachians, can be severely hindered by having his psychic senses turned on since he's in close quarters with others who are suffering day to day and which he is meant neither to help nor to connect with in this manner. So we choose how much of us to extend into an embodied life. One portion of our soul, usually a small portion of the whole, is engaged interconnectedly with the body, mind, emotions of the life to the exclusion of all else, while the rest of the soul remains in the Akashics. This portion, which is sometimes characterized as the higher self, is not separate from us, although from the embodied side of things it can seem to be. Again, this is on purpose in order for us to focus on the life we're living because embodied life is complicated, hard work, and requires all of our attention. The level of difficulty increases for souls who come to be in service as they're adding not only their own need to be, experience, and thrive, but to help others do the same. How the soul is able to have two different experiences at the same time, being both in the Akashics in their natural state and embodied here, is due to time. Anywhere but embodied life, time is not linear. Time is not even necessarily relevant in any way which we can understand in our current evolution. For something to wrap our brains around a concept we can't really visualize, it can be helpful to think of everything happening in the Akashics as now. Everything is now, all the time. Everyone is nowing all at once in a non-contradictory fashion. However we come here, we enter into a bubble, a construct, where time runs in a linear fashion. A place where there is past, present, future all running in one direction, where cause precedes effect, and the order of how things happen is relevant. The boundary between these, the edge of this bubble, is currently being discovered by science in the field of physics where experiments are defining the work of the zero-point field. For each individual soul, the bubble occurs in the prana chi field at the top of the head, when we move beyond the seventh chakra. 
Once a soul enters into embodiment, they're interconnected intimately with time. All aspects of embodied life are time-constrained, from the growth and decline of the body to the maturation of the emotional self and the unfolding and possible decline of the mind. The soul, while eternal, seeks out this experience in order to grow and become, therefore participates fully in these processes. Soul retrieval is a healing modality which has been created in order to intervene when things go wrong with the integration. We all have experienced the contradiction of time being malleable while simultaneously being inflexible and inexorable. We learn this very quickly as children. When we're doing something we love or which absorbs us to the exclusion of all else, time seems to fly or have no relevance at all. We lose track of it, as it were. On the other hand, when we don't want to do something, time seems to attenuate become double or triple its normal length, and seem to drag. Meanwhile, the march of time never ends in its regularity and implacability, hence we talk about how it can be wasted if it's not used properly because it is here and then it's gone. The malleability of time comes in part from how much our soul and or our body are active and predominant in any given situation. Something which is on our path and brings us joy, an activity or experience which brings our soul to the fore and leaves it in control of a situation, will cause time to drop away, allowing us to experience timelessness. On the other hand, if a situation is so dangerous that we may experience grievous harm, time will attenuate as our body takes control of a situation to act in our best interest and hopefully prevent it. In a dangerous situation, our body becomes predominant. It's almost as if the various aspects of self are a hand of cards which is shuffled in a different order. Normally, we live in our mind where time is orderly. We can navigate and feel nominally in control of the present, and we can co-create our future with support from our body, input from our emotions, and the wisdom of our soul. In a moment of trauma, our body comes to the fore. Our soul steps back out of the way, taking our emotions with it, or at least keeping them quiet, and our mind works solely as a data collector for sensory input. For example, if you're in a car accident, say someone hits you on the driver's side door, not enough to cause severe physical harm, but the car is buckled into a half-moon shape and slides sideways a bit. The other driver is fine, but shaken up. In those moments, you can feel the mind has stepped back. The body takes over. Everything goes on autopilot as we take stock of our own health, the state of the car, where we are, and what we need to do next. We react as necessary to get ourselves and others out of harm's way, to get the cars out of the way of traffic if possible, swap information, call the police, and what have you. During all this, it's as if time has stopped or is moving completely differently from normal. It's as if we're in a bubble separate from other people and normal life. We react in a heightened state, aware of every detail which can make the situation seem even more surreal. It's only after all the paperwork is done, the situation is over, when all the reacting and acting have played out, that time starts again. This is completely normal and expected. Our body goes through a four-step dance. Traumatic event, adrenalize, fight-flight-freeze response, react, and recover. During step one, the soul moves back out of the way while the body deals and it returns to step four when it receives the message from the body all is well and safe. It's easy to recognize when this return occurs because time begins again. The details of what happens stop being a linear progression of necessary actions with heightened sensory input and instead start to become a story we're telling ourselves in order to make meaning of what happened. It's when we start to make sense of it all and incorporate it into ourselves 
into the whole of who we are, into the tapestry of our experiences, history, and eventual wisdom. It's when memories of what happened come flooding back in, filling the gaps, because while our minds are the physical database structure which catalogs, collates, and creates from the data we acquire, our soul is where the data resides. Unfortunately, or fortunately, there are times when this process doesn't work smoothly. There are times when the soul does not return in step four, allowing the memories, the events, and time to flow again. We see this in survivors of genocide, hostages held over long periods of time, victims of rape or molestation, especially traumatic situations which continue for months or years. The soul moves back in order to protect the person in the moment, but doesn't receive a signal that things are safe to return, so it doesn't. Over time, the body acclimates to its new state of being, and so the signal seems to never come. This can lead to memory gaps, incomplete or convoluted timelines, and confusion on whether events happened at all, let alone how they happened. This is not to say someone who has suffered through a traumatic event or trauma over long periods has no soul. Bodies cannot survive without souls. Nor is it true that a soul can be separated into various parts like a puzzle. Instead, what's happening is the part of the soul connected with that moment in time, or what is commonly called a soul part, becomes distinct from the whole. I call them soul moments because this is what they are, individual moments of ourselves which have become isolated unto themselves. For them, time is arrested, neither going forward nor back, constantly in a now which they can neither change nor affect, waiting to reconnect with the living timeline which is our embodied life. The rest of our soul, the interconnected moments, remain and continue on with life, hence survivors can remember what happens after the events and can build a life for themselves with partners and children, careers and friends. However, those parts associated with the trauma, and there can be as many as there were incidents, remain dissociated and isolated. Akashic energy is flowing through us every moment we're alive. Like oxygen, it comes into us bringing the raw materials we need to sustain and manifest our efforts at being and living, and then it leaves with the proceeds which are the building blocks others need to be sustained and manifested in their turn. Universal Akasha flows into us through our head or crown chakra and is transformed through all our various processes into things such as cells, memories, skills, emotions, nervous system programming, actions, choices, and experiences. The results of all this, and everything else we are, go out into the world helping us co-create existence. At the same time, Earth Akasha is flowing into us through our feet or root chakra, bringing all the raw and formed materials of the embodied world, gathering our lived experiences, wisdom, and becoming, then being released back out into the universe. One of the ways we utilize these Akashic flows is to divide it into two strands, front and back. Imagine if you were divided a bit like a bagel, with the top of the bagel being your front side and the bottom of the bagel being your back. The top of the bagel is usually where all the good stuff is. It's where the baker puts seeds or nuts, where they drizzle cheese or put raisins in patterns and so on. Energetically, we put most of our good stuff in the front. Our faces are on the front of our heads and we don't have eyes on stock, so we have to turn our heads to see above, below, or behind us. Our arms can bend to work behind us with practice, but are designed for working in front. Our legs bend to create laps which are great for holding things, rather than backwards to make us more like a table. And of course, our sexual organs and even our secondary sexual features like beards and breasts are in the front. This is why, as a side note, we don't make detailed meaning or judgments about people based on their backsides. When we see people from the back, we check to see if they have toilet paper on their shoes, 
if things are tucked where they should be and not if they shouldn't. And otherwise, make an immediate note to fill in all the other data we need when or if they turn around. A cache of flowing through the front of us is what we use to power our day-to-day -day routine, to problem-solve issues, real, imagined, or just worried over, and to navigate our life in the short, medium, and long term. It's the second wind we get in the evening, the joy we feel when we succeed in something, the will we use to get through the difficult times, and the energy we use to juggle everything on our plate, even when the plate is too small, achingly empty, or seemingly non-existent. The back half of us is structural. It's what we use to support all this thinking and doing we get up to all day long. Our spine supports not only the skull, but the brain and its functioning. The arms hang off our spine via the shallow shoulder joints. Our ribs reach around from it in a protective hug. Our pelvis provides the bowl for major organs to sit in. And our legs socket into the hips, which provide not only upright support, but mobility depending on how they're utilized. The back also supports our safety and well-being through the limbic system, which includes our brainstem or lizard brain survival programming, our nervous system, including the spinal cord, which is the information and experience superhighway, and the fight-flight-freeze reactions, which are wired into our physiological systems like a fire alarm in a high-rise. Along with all this, the back is set up as a storage facility. As adults, we quickly become aware the world is an overwhelming place and a large part of what we'll do with our time is discern, sort, and manage what we do with our front-facing energies. This can be as simple as setting something aside so we can get to do it later in the day when we have a moment to focus on it, or as complex as shoving something away using coping mechanisms, addictions, or dissociation. I think of this process a bit like one of the pivotal moments from Gone with the Wind. I'll think about that tomorrow. What we can't process in the moment gets shoved down, pushed back, and stored for later. This is actually a healthy built-in process which helps us survive. If you've ever been in a fender bender or fallen suddenly, you've experienced it. After the moment of impact, time seems to stop and things become oddly fluid. Our senses become at once very broad, taking in everything, and yet narrowly focused. Our bodies seem to take over and move us through what needs to be done step by step until we can't figure out anything else to do. Then, with a rush, time starts to come back and our mind starts trying to make sense of all the bewildering and uncategorized data it's just been handed. We might even go through the shakes like we're cold as the nervous system purges us of the adrenaline and other no longer necessary biochemicals which the body has produced. That rush is our back giving the all-clear signal and releasing everything it had stored in the moment. All the extraneous things, which might have gotten in the way of our focus on survival, are now returned to the front where we can sort through and process them. But what if our back never gives the all-clear? What if we never feel safe enough or ready enough to deal? If we don't feel or are not safe physically, emotionally, or mentally for long periods of time, we create coping mechanisms in order to survive. All the things we aren't able to process in the moment, the events, problems, questions, fears, righteous fury, sorrow, pain, and truths get stored. Over time, all of the storage becomes what seems a distant memory, and our coping mechanisms take their place, turning necessary lies about who we truly are into our lived experience. What we have stored develops into triggers, or repeated narratives we don't even know we're repeating, or feelings of being lost, incomplete, and vague about entire aspects of ourselves. Soul retrieval is a healing modality where a practitioner can help a person retrieve these soul moments, or missing aspects of ourselves, and assist them in reintegrating in order to achieve wholeness of self. Many different indigenous cultures understand the need for this and have their own rituals and practices for achieving it. 
Some have the healer connect with the person and follow what amounts to spiritual tracks to the place where these soul moments reside in the time-space matrix. They offer a means for the soul moment to journey with them back to their person and then help the two reconnect. Others provide means for the patient to journey on their own to the area and retrieve the moment either through meditation, ceremony, or medicinal herbs which alter perception. No matter what spiritual practice is used, the basics of the process are the same. Prior to any healing work being done, the person requesting healing must be fully prepared to receive and accept the soul moment which is returning. This moment will not only bring memories of the event, possibly triggering flashbacks and new emotional responses to current events, but also will carry emotional issues as yet unprocessed concerning the events and all which surrounds them. The younger the person was when the soul moment separated, the more emotional processing and maturing will be required. Once the practitioner feels the patient is prepared, they'll provide safe and sacred space for the healing. They'll either journey to the area where soul moments reside or will support the patient in journeying there. It's not uncommon for practitioners to work with an animal guide or spirit being who takes them into the realm of the waiting, of the lost, and help them find the patient's moment which is ready to return. The practitioner will hold space while the soul moment is contacted, assured of its safety and its welcome, then offered a means to return. The healer or patient will return with the soul moment and help it integrate with the patient. This is usually a pleasant emotional experience of a reunion, which brings a feeling of well-being. After the healing session, the practitioner should do follow-up or aftercare as the process of healing actually begins in earnest once the session is successfully completed. After the moment returns and feels safe to stay, all the information it has carried, including the emotions in the moment, the details, the fears, and struggle for survival, all will come back and not necessarily in any linear fashion. In fact, the earlier the moment in a person's life, the less linear the unfolding as the data was stored and experienced in the unstructured, creative and experiential mode of the child. People who have suffered trauma in their lives can often feel lost, hollow, or as if something is missing which they can't quite put their finger on. Some who suffer in childhood can point to entire years or groups of years which are simply a blank, not because nothing happened, but because things happened which they needed to survive. They know they happened, not because they remember, but because others have told them so, or because they can feel around the blank spots, like their tongue feeling around the area where a tooth used to be. They continue to move past what happened and build the best lives they can, but there's always something missing. Some call what is missing closure. Others call it a nagging succession of incompleteness, and still others feel as if it's the monster in the closet or the other shoe to drop. It's as if something terrible is hanging over them like impending disaster but the something never comes. The feeling can be unbearable in its utter certainty and yet its complete absence of anything tangible. Soul retrieval is a means to begin the healing of this disconnect, to put time back into its proper order, give us back our memories, knit us back into wholeness. It allows our body to fully acknowledge and accept that it's finally safe and capable of keeping us safe as adults. It allows our soul to come back into harmony with this embodied life and move forward towards a better life full of blessings. It's not for the faint of heart, but it can be exactly what we need to put all the pieces into place. And that's all the time we have this week. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. Thank you to my patrons of honor this week, Lourdes and Nisha Modi. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it by subscribing on Patreon. You can join in patron-only classes, see all my other offerings, and get regular updates about what I'm working on, 
at patreon.com slash Thanks. Bye.